With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I want to do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's pot pie or real Texas beef and sweet potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying for America. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry as the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Oh, hey, it's your ex-boyfriend's bandmate who didn't recognize you at the DMV, thankfully. Allie Ward here. Brand new shiny episode. Welcome to Spooktober. Every year, we've aimed to make ologies kind of creepier. This year is going to be no exception. We've got some really great ones this month. Who? Creepy. But let's just bust out of the cemetery gates strong with witches. We're finally doing witches, witchcraft, witch history, different types of witches, what it means to be a witch, witches among us, suspected celebrity witches. We got forest covens, teen movies, and so much more. We have the perfect, the perfect guest for this. I got an email from Leela Higgins, who I've mentioned so many times. Uh, Leela was the guest for the entomology episode, and I talked all about her in the field trip, Natural History Museum episode. And recently, I went on Hidden Brain's Unsung Heroes show and talked all about her. So when I got an email from Leela suggesting I interview this guest, I delved into their bio and I begged them to dial in from the Southern Hemisphere and be my friend. So first off, just a science note up top. So this specific episode of Ology is a little different. It's not the norm. Because unlike vampires or monsters, there are real witches among us. And I wanted to include their voices. I had to include their voices in this firsthand account of their beliefs. It was so important to me to have an actual self-described witch as the guest. So I chose this author and teacher on the subject who identifies as one and has written and spoken extensively on many different sects of witchcraft and who could also lend some really important perspective on intersectionality. And this is presented as a really rare episode with the understanding that it's an account of a guest's faith-based beliefs and their experiences and opinions rather than a removed scholastic overview. Even though there is a ton of really, really great history and information and facts in this. It's amazing. But you may not agree with everything they say that is faith-based, and that's fine. You can listen with curiosity, and you can get to know the real people behind the tropes that we see in fiction. So this is a great pair of episodes. It's a fascinating topic, and I love this guest. Now, the rest of Spooktober, we're back to the typical ologies episodes with graphs and data and spreadsheets. But for this one, it's more loosey-goosey. So chill out a little bit and just relax and enjoy it. Okay, Dad. Okay. We will discuss the term witchology, but do not come at me and tell me that I made this up because it is an established word for this study. It's in the literature. 
I don't make the rules. So this witchologist has a long, long, long history with witchcraft, has been initiated as a witch and a priestess, co-founded the Cloudcatcher Reclaiming Witch Camp, taught at witch camps and festivals and events and seminaries all over the world, authored several books, including Elements of Magic, Magic of the Iron Pentacle, Ecstatic Witchcraft, and then a new release, The Witch Belongs to the World, and has even created apprenticeships among all this cool stuff. So their knowledge of the history and the context and perspectives is so thorough. You will love them. We had such a great long conversation that I had to break this one into two parts just to do it justice and so that I could sleep. And we cover everything from witch trials to the commercialization of witchcraft and gender and environmentalism and witch fashion. But first, thank you to everyone supporting at patreon.com slash allergies. You can join for a buck or more a month and submit questions Thanks to everyone leaving reviews, which helps the show so much, and I read them all. And as proof, thank you, your Loftus, who happened to write, Allie Ward may legitimately be the closest we've gotten to a witch. There has yet to be a single bad episode in her catalog. My cat and I listen to this pod while I crochet. I gotta say, th- okay, thank you, your Loftus, because that is some stunning synchronicity with the timing there. And I gotta tell you, with this episode and this guest, you really can't get any closer to getting a witch than them. So I am but a girl standing in front of a witch asking them not smart questions. But thank you all for your reviews. And on that topic, we're going to discuss some religious history too. Just a warning, we do touch on some of the historical brutality suffered by those outside of dominant religions and the stigmas faced by those worshiping or observing religions that are considered fringe. So opinions and your spiritual or religious beliefs are yours to keep, but the history of the conflicts are discussed. And next week, we're going to delve into your questions that deal, again, with witches in media and hallucinogenic plants and broomstick legends and sex-positive witchery and if you're a witch or what to do if you think you might be one. But for now, get comfy, light a candle, stare at a tree, and get ready for historical lore, dewy forests, midnight myths, lunar pratfalls, spells, cheerful nudists, awkward Uber rides, hexes, documentary suggestions, and so much more with author, speaker, spirit worker, witch, and witchologist, Theo Gerde Parma. Gede Parma, and my pronouns are they and she. Do you prefer uh, one over the other just to know, or can I just kind of switch back and forth? They is like predominant, and she is like very intimate, I would say. Yeah. Okay, but, great. Yeah, they're both out there. Okay, cool. Well, awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you. Okay, so first off, is witchologist the right term? How are we doing on that? What's the verdict? Well, I've never... Would we say? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever used that term? No, I haven't. (laughs) But for the purposes of now, yes. (laughs) I was on a deep dive last night. Some people have used Wickology, W-I-K-K-ology. Other people have used Magiology for the study of magic in general. Sure. I wonder among the community if there's a preferred term, because Paganology is too broad. Yeah, it's a very broad umbrella and not all witches would even consider ourselves to be under it, although we intersect with it. I would just say witch. There are people who academically study the history of witchcraft and the modern practice of it. 
And I'm a practitioner who definitely is a total nerd. And I definitely <laughs> am devoted to the historical and folkloric study of the craft. That is true. So I guess witchologist would actually be a term. Mm-hmm. I know there are people that are going to say that we made it up, but I looked and that term has been used all over the internet and in books. That's great. People are using it. I'm so happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> and from what I understand, you're interest and your experience in this goes way back. Theo knew they were a witch before I even had a favorite cheese. So respect. I guess so. Although I would argue that a lot of like young 11 and 12 year olds, I think a lot of passionate, nerdy, intrinsic kind of compulsive, <laughs> like, um, uh, you know, obsessions do start when we're quite young. But for sure, I was I knew I was a witch when I was 11, which is a very interesting experience to kind of realize you're something and then to try to figure that out with the resources at hand. Luckily for me, I was part of a family where magic and spirit work and mediumship and divination was already embedded in our lives, but from a different kind of perspective, from a non-Western perspective, from a Balinese perspective. So Theo was born in Bali to an Australian mom of Irish, Scottish, and English descent, and their father is from Bali. And I understand your father was also involved in healing and things like that? He still is, yeah. So he mm -hmm. lives in Bali and he is absolutely involved in traditional healing and he is a spirit worker. So, so that's a term I would use just broadly to cover anyone who works with the mysterious ones or the spirits in order to do, well, well anything. But usually if they're a community healer, they're involved in healing and repair work and these people perform and enact really essential traditional roles in traditional societies. And that is part of the role of the witch and has been for a long time. But the witch is also a provocateur in society and a transgressor of like social limits that are imposed by the dominant culture, whether that's the church or imperialism or anything of that kind of like control top-down order. So witches, historically speaking, they fuck shit up in the name of speaking truth to power. But let's get back to their past. And what happened at 11 where that kind of light went on for you? A whole series of things happened, I guess. At that time, there was a lot in popular culture that was kind of revving up in the late 90s where there was, I guess, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there was Harry Potter, there was um, Charmed. Mm -hmm. Hear now the words of the witches. The secrets we hid in the night. The oldest of gods are invoked here. The great the work of magic is sought. You know, all of this stuff. And I was looking at all of this fantastical whatever, and I was like, oh, what is that? And then there, there are often hints of actual magical practice inside, because, you know, like even in the craft, they had a technical advisor who was a witch. It is better that you should rush upon this blade than enter this circle with fear in your heart. How do you enter? With perfect love and perfect trust. That's a girl. As above, so below. Like that famous cult movie, The Craft. And so you can sometimes see oh, they've definitely gone to someone. And in retrospect, I realized they had like an actual <laughs> witch. But, um, but there were certain things they would do or say, and I was like, that reminds me of something. And even though I hadn't yet done that in this life, it sung, it like things that they were doing, saying, 
their rituals. It sung to something kind of primordial in me. It was just like a kind of a whole self-knowing. And this is quite common for witches, like to kind of feel that kind of click into place, although it can happen at any age. And then I just fully dove in. I fully dove in. And there were a series of like, as well as this, it did come with some interesting, you know, spirit phenomena, which really um, woke me up to it. Spooky. Did you have dreams where people visited you? Did you have any visions? Did you hear mm. anything? Were things misplaced in different areas? I mean, the misplaced stuff is incidental, but yeah, definitely all of the above. I would see spirits in the house and then my mother would be like, oh yes, I've seen that spirit too and describe the exact same being. So any that you like sharing or do you like keeping most of them personal? Well... Some of them are very personal, but, you know, I grew up in a very haunted house. There were just my mother, my sister, my father and I, when he would visit from Bali, we would all perceive and see the spirits. And so it was all of us, very different personality traits would be seeing and experiencing these things. So it was very corroborative on that sense. And now from 11, you weren't just like, cool, I'm a witch. See ya. You went on to, in your young teen years, organized Covens, like you were yeah. in the mix, right? I was a little freak, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Overachieving witch. <laughs> yeah, I really did do weird shit like that. That's true. Yeah. What made you kind of get inspired to take more of a leadership role? Did you just feel like it was in you and you had a lot to give? It definitely felt like it was in me. You know, I remember being a 15-year-old and there were def I'd been going to this Pagans in the Park thing, it's called, which th those events kind of exist in different cities and towns. But I met all these witches who were, you know, decades older than me and they were very, I don't know, some of them were, were interesting to me, but a lot of them didn't seem to be practicing the magic that I wanted to practice. And so I just started running my own rituals and inviting them. And then they were like, okay, well, you're running the rituals now. You're in charge. So, <laughs> so they would just come. People decades older than me would come to my rituals and I don't know, that felt very bolstering and they all gave me great feedback. And obviously, you know, I was working it out as I was going and then I did end up getting traditional training. But yeah, I, I did a lot of trial and error and I made a lot of mistakes and I blew some things up. But <laughs> it's 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 okay. That's also a very common kind of teen witch story, like the, the <laughs> trialing of many rituals and spells and blowing things up. <laughs> You actually lived the life of a teen witch. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> and I hope you've seen that movie. Tell me you've seen Teen Witch. I have. I have actually. <laughs> oh my God. The rap scene in that? Is there anything like it on earth? I don't know. That movie is frozen in a time capsule for sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of us. Me? A witch? There's a rap scene that I just... It, <laughs> Like, I hope they played at my funeral because it's wow. something that deserves to be heard. It's so powerful in the, <laughs> oh my God, what is going on right now kind of way. Yes. It's beautiful. I feel like that whole movie is like that. <laughs> so that actress, Manny Ingbar, is now Jennifer Aniston's yoga instructor. And the reason I know that is because I did a bunch of her yoga videos, yoga philosophy, And I was like, this teacher's pretty funny and pretty down to earth. Looks so familiar. Did I work with her? Did I serve her in a restaurant? Did I date her brother? And then I Googled her and my brain fell right out of my butt because hello, teen witch. Anyway, I'm sure that you get this a lot, but 
can you describe, let's say you were at a cocktail party and someone says, oh, you're a witch? What does that mean? Yeah. What is a witch? Yeah. Yes. Heavy sigh, heavy sigh. <laughs> yes, it, it because it's complicated. But but a witch is, I do have an answer, but it's like there's a lot to unpack in there. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> a witch is a... Um, an ecstatic magical spirit worker who is, I believe, not every witch would agree with me, I believe is inherently anti-oppression and anti-imperialist and that our magic, like witch magic, because there's other kinds of magic. So witch's magic comes up from the ground and it comes from the, the poor and the marginalized. And it's magic that requires intimacy with the elements of life. It requires getting dirty. It requires sensuality. So like a, a witch is a transgressive ecstatic spirit worker you know and then you'd have to break all of those concepts down for people so there are many folks who would self-identify as witches with a huge big variety of sex and sources and then there are others who would be labeled witches who do not consider themselves witches and in some cultures a witch or a sorcerer is someone who uses magic or psychic abilities just to do harm whereas a shaman or a witch doctor is thought to use the same powers, but to heal others. But then some religions get a bee in their bonnet with that because they're like, if there is a power not derived from our single God, then it must be drawing from the power of Satan. So they label anyone who practices witchcraft as Satanist, and witches are like, get it right, my brother, that is not it. Now on the subreddit, witches versus patriarchy, I found a lively discussion of what is a witch, and it included popular comments such as, if you are trying to affect the universe, you are witching. And as a grandson of the Caribbean diaspora, I think of the abuelas and aunties that made the voyage to places like New York and still held on to traditions. And another person said, I'm a secular witch, and I don't really believe in any sort of supernatural power or cosmic energy or anything, but I do try to send good out into the universe, if only because it makes me feel better. Another person chimed in with this historical look at what makes a witch, saying, At one time, if you were an educated or independent woman, you were a witch, whether you asked for it or not. If you were of childbearing age, but chose not to get married to a male, you were a witch, whether you asked for it or not. But an overall take was, you feel like a witch? You are a witch. No actual magic required. Now, in the U.S. and the U.K. and around the world, Folks who are Wiccan or neo-pagan will use the term witch, but unlike perceptions of witches doing harm, their core tenet is do no harm. And they tend to approach things sociologically as progressive and in harmony with ecology, which, if you ask me, has a lot of parallels with many environmental researchers and scientists I know. Either way, let us traipse through the garden of vocab and smell the words transgressive, ecstatic, spirit worker, in case those are not words that your iPhone predictive text would expect you to use frequently. So transgressive means that you have kind of an outsider perspective to cultural norms. Maybe you challenge, even violate them on principle. So you're like a rebel with a cause, maybe a rebel with a coven. Now, ecstatic isn't just being so happy, like ecstatic. I'm ecstatic to have found a parking spot at Trader Joe's on a Sunday. But ecstatic, like in a state of ecstasy, like maybe a shift in your consciousness, or maybe rhythmic sounds have put you in kind of a trance, or you're just in the zone. You're feeling connected. You're in flow. Now, a spirit worker, it's more straightforward. It's someone who's like, yeah, I fuck with spirits. I check in with them about my magic business, and we are cool. Now, you can also see Fio's own book, Ecstatic Witchcraft, Magic, Philosophy, and Trance in the Shamanic Craft. And I'll link that in the show notes, but it's out of print right now, 
So you can find it in used bookstores. You can also pre-order the re-release, which will be out next August of 2024. But this book offers a less casual, a more in-depth view of this because I'm just mostly, I'm a curious ape with a search engine. That's why we're here. Do you ever try to approach it differently depending on who you're talking to and how familiar they are with some of those concepts? Uh, I have, but then I'm like, well, I feel like I'm half telling the truth, right? Certainly, like, I never tell anyone I'm a witch in public because you never know who you're going to, like, come across, right? If I'm sitting in an Uber and someone asks what I do, I never tell them what I do. Mm-hmm. I might say, oh, I teach meditation, mm-hmm. which is not true, but it's like, I don't want them to fully know because there's a lot of prejudice and there's a lot of misconceptions. And I never know if I'm sitting in a car with, like, a fundamentalist religious Christian or something. Mm-hmm. So... I sometimes, if I'm being like a bit like spicy, I'll go, oh yeah, witches, we cast spells. Because people ask that question. I'm like, yeah, we absolutely do that. Yeah. Not all of us venerate deities, but we venerate mysterious forces. That's for sure. Like the darkness between the stars, the, the earth herself, the water, the rain, the storm. And we work with those elemental primordial forces to achieve change in this world. All right. Listen. Okay. Some history. So there are a lot of types of religions and If there was a bar trivia category about them, I would fail at it. I would be of no use to the team. I'm not a scholar on this, nor have we even covered theology. But from what I understand, Ye Old Bible has has some great ideas and some ethos on how to treat other people. Those parts seem great. I myself was raised Catholic. TBH wasn't for me. Did not like it. And also, some flavors of religion have been co-opted by people who may not have had the best intentions toward folks that they did not agree with or could not convert. But Deuteronomy, Old Testament, says that anyone who casts spells, who is a medium or a spiritist or who consults the dead, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. The Lord is pest. And so some pagan gatherings and witchy festivals are often the target of Bible and bullhorn-bearing protesters. Now, there are also some Torah verses that are are not fans of witchery, like one verse stating, you shall not allow a sorceress to live. That seems pretty straightforward. And in some Islamic and Muslim communities, magic is used, but in others, it's thought to be evil. Now, fundamentalist Christian, I'm so sorry— I had to look up what this meant, but that is a movement that stresses biblical literalism. Bible is fact. But fundamentalist groups tend not to be the biggest fans of witches either. So in order to like promote day-to-day harmony, sometimes people who are part of an invisible minority just keep things close to the velvet and the lace vest. And as the holiday season approaches, many of us do this with relatives who don't believe in science. So you get it. And do you ever feel like there is culturally, at least Western, do you feel like there's a big gulf between science and spirituality? And where do you feel like being a witch or practicing that craft sort of fits in between that? I do think that colonized Western society is deeply reductive and there's nuance and complexity everywhere. But overall, I would say the paradigm in the West is dualistic and reductive, by which I mean that there's this idea of a body-spirit split that doesn't exist in most traditional primary or indigenous cultures. And so the witch really in Western kind of capitalist society is actually really provoking 
a memory of that not being true. You know, the body is all there is, but the body is deeper, wilder, and richer than we're taught. It's not an automaton. It's not a mode that just moves through a chaotic machine. Like that, that's just not what body is. If you're like, this seems like a real problem. It is. And it's called the mind-body problem. And back in the day, we're talking like 1600s, a scientist and a philosopher named Rene Descartes, who had an amazing French girl, long bob or lob, great bangs, was all about something called dualism, which was like, listen, you've got the body, which is here sitting on a tufted chaise, maybe farting, and then you've got the mind which is not the brain, but it's just thinking, feeling thing made of this whole other substance, like a soul, if you will. So that was what Descartes was all about. So connecting with your body, it's important for everyone because then you can take big deep breaths when you're stressed, you can eat when you're hungry, you can stop scrolling on a tiny computer device and maybe just go lay in the soft dirt and say, wow, I'm a whole hog animal. I'm not just a thinky contraption in a fleshy mech suit. What a world. And so witchcraft is also deeply somatic and body-based, but we understand body in a very animistic, sensual way. So the split between spirituality and science, I think, is kind of manufactured. And something I often tell people is that, you know, most humans on this planet experience spirits, like most humans, and that's normal (laughs) and common. And most humans to this day believe magic has efficacy that's just true. That's true in in most countries in the world. It's actually rarer to have a country where that is kind of not the case. What kind of witchy things do you think happen to us that some of us, especially in colonized Western culture, don't even pick up on? You know, you raise a really good point. A lot of people see spirits and would never know because they think spirits will appear in like a mass of lights and there'll be like some weird tune or song that suddenly goes (laughs) on, right? Like you are probably walking past spirits that you are seeing out of the corner of your eye or full on every day of your life on the street, on the bus, on the subway, and you would never know. You would never know. (laughs) Um, And to kind of bring it really down to the point, the trees are spirits, the mountains are spirits, the rivers are spirits, the birds are their spirits, the insects are spirits, fungi us are constellations of consciousness. They are all spirits to us. So some folks describe this as animism, which comes from the Latin for life or soul. So animated people are really lively. And animation or anime is static pictures brought to life. And spiritually, though, animism means that everything is imbued with a spirit. And if you're like, uh, whatever, then why in French is a chair feminine, but an armchair is masculine? We may never know. But the term animism, it has kind of a dark past. And there are forms of animism that are dead, so to speak. Old animism refers to scholars in the 1800s describing the spiritual beliefs of so-called primitive societies, because unlike a lot of Western monotheist religions, many indigenous cultures recognized the spirits in what then scientists would argue is like just a rock, that thing's not alive. But then a new animism emerged as kind of a reclaiming. And trust me, there was a whole deep dive on this. We could do an entire episode. But the basics are the split between I am me, a person, and it is the rest of the non-persons in the world versus an I-thou kind of relationship, meaning I am me and I am a part of the rest of the systems of Earth, both with human persons and other things and objects. Now, Theo continues. 
And so a spirit is not like some discarnate entity, right? Like it's like a living, buzzing center of agency. And so the reality is all of this is happening all of the time and which is we pay attention and we lean in and we cultivate conscious co-partnership with these beings um, to do all kinds of things. You know, there is a lot of anecdotal evidence for the impact of the moon, like so much. You know, the moon is very big in witchcraft. I know my mother's a nurse and I know many nurses and they all say the same thing about the full moon. It's, you know, it's like anecdotal folk wisdom, you know. (laughs) ERs get packed. (laughs) Yeah. And that weirder things happen. Like my mother has always said people take more risks on the full moon, like risky accidents happen on the full moon. (laughs) You're like, I will change the light bulb in the high ceiling living room. Yeah. (laughs) It's a full moon. Exactly. (laughs) I will make a cucumber salad with the sharpest knife. Like those are my... (laughs) Exactly. Just little things like that. Also synchronicity, you know, what Carl Jung called synchronicity, that does happen to most people. And I think increasingly people do pay attention to synchronicities. And synchronicities in Jungian psychology are, in Jung's words, meaningful coincidences of two or more events or something other than the probability of chance is involved. So kind of a like goosebumpy kind of moment or something just cool and spooky. And you can say weird and just chalk it up to chance. Or maybe you say weird. What are the chances? What are the chances? Now, if you're an ER healthcare worker, hello and thank you for doing what you do. But you might attest to things getting a little wacky when the moon is in full effect. But statisticians might disagree with you. I found this list of maybe a hundred studies trying to connect full moons with accidents and births and death rates and conception rates. And only a few of these studies out of like a hundred found any connection, such as the 2016 study, Secular Pattern of Aneurysmal Rupture with the Lunar Cycle and Season, that found a significantly greater risk of an aneurysm rupture during a new moon and a full moon compared to other lunar phases. And there was this 2021 study, effects of weather and moon phases on emergency medical use after fall injury, a population-based nationwide study. And it noted that more fall injuries, you know, bailing off a ladder, whatever, happened during full moons in rural areas, but there was no difference in rates in the city. So no matter how tempting it is to paint a barn by moonlight, just take it easy. It's not worth the hospital bills, it's better to have a peeling barn than a GoFundMe all your relatives have to contribute to. But if you're a motorcyclist, check your calendar, take the bus on the full moons, because over a 40-year period, researchers found that yes, more motorcycle deaths happened on full moons. And this 2017 study hopes that the data might encourage motorcyclists to ride with extra care during a full moon and more generally, to appreciate the power of seemingly minor distractions at all times. So Big Bright Moon, motorists are out there trying to take pictures of it on their iPhones and then looking at the screen, wondering why their picture sucks, and then boom, you're reuniting with your grandma on an astral plane. Also, for more on the moon and why those pictures never turn out, you can see this Selenology episode all about the moon. It's a good one. But yes, synchronicities which are really just a meaningful coincidence. But the thing is, it's so meaningful to the point where it becomes uncanny and a little bit scary. (laughs) Mm. Like not just two things, but 10 things layering, for instance. Well, I wonder too, how much do you think that 
psychology borrows from kind of animism or a naturism like shadow selves and oh, things like that. Yes. Well, I was just saying last night to a friend of mine, like almost all psychology that I know about, at least in psychotherapy, the people who founded those schools of thought and practices were deeply immersed in occult study, astrology, oh. alchemy, like they were deeply immersed. So that does impact <laughs> um, the way a lot of psychological streams have evolved for sure. A few notables are quantum physicist, friend of Einstein, and Nobel laureate Wolfgang Pauli, and psychology bigwig Carl Jung, who were both into alchemy and numerology and some real mystical shit. And in 2016, there was a paper, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Notes on the Psychology of Belief in Histories of Science and the Occult. And that notes that many founding fathers of psychology were into psychic stuff and parapsychology. They were like, hey, thoughts are in the brain. What else can the brain do? Who knows? Literally not me, which is why I find people who know more than me and I ask them questions that we all have, such as. What about breaking it down kind of categorically? Sure. If you are new to this or if you're just kind of taking a peek behind the curtain, yeah. can you explain some of the different types of witchery that mm. is out there? I can. It's uh, very, also very complex, but so, I know. so the modern witchcraft revival in the West does trace back to a British civil servant named Gerald Gardner. And you can look him up. There's documentaries about him. He came out as a witch. I think he's the first person to self-declare as a witch in the modern era. I believe it was in 1951 that he did that or 1952. So after the witchcraft law was repealed, um, in 1951. It was definitely after that, so it probably was 1952. Because while it looks like an ancient folk religion, Wicca was actually developed in the 1940s by a middle-aged nudist from the New Forest called Gerald Gardner. And then he published a book called Witchcraft Today in 1954, which was a watershed moment because it did actually reveal um, he said that he had been initiated into a witchcraft coven in the New Forest in 1939. For all intents and purposes, it does look like that did happen. It does look like there was a group of people in the New Forest. So the New Forest is this big-ass beautiful forest in the south of England, but the New Forest Coven was one that our friend Gerald Gardner, the so-called father of Wicca, was involved in. But yes, the New Forest Coven, 20th century real ones. Who were a mix of kind of hereditary cunning folk, which is an English term for like village witch kind of, like a helping village witch, a white witch, they would say, although that's a kind of also like a term to unpack. Yeah. And then a group of kind of like Victorian, Edwardian, older women who had been involved in the Golden Dawn and ceremonial forms of magic and mysticism. And so he published a book. And so the witches that come from him, so we call them traditions and lineages. They're called Gardnerian witches. So back in the 50s and 60s, there's a lot of like black and white photographs of Gardnerian and Alexandrian um, witches, and they're all naked because that's a part of their tradition. So they practice their rites sky clad or clad only by the sky hmm. or naked, right? And this was deeply, you know, can you imagine in the 50s in Britain and even the 60s, it was deeply scandalizing and witches were often in the tabloids. Oh, I'm sure. People were scandalized by it. I mean, you couldn't leave the house without a bra in those days without yes. like getting arrested. Yes. Okay, I meant that as hyperbole, but I found myself on the Wikipedia article titled Brawlessness and found that even in 2019, a woman in Iran was arrested for public brawlessness and had to sign a pledge that she'd never do it again. But yeah, even during the 1940s, a lady could straight up get arrested for wearing pants. And the U.S. Senate 
didn't let female representatives wear trousers until Bill Clinton was in office. So any lads out there wanting to wear dresses or skirts, please go for it. Just do it. The world will catch up, maybe even sooner if you do. And a lot of the younger, you know, especially in the 60s with a whole other movement of witches called Alexandrian witches, which come down from Alex and Maxine Sanders. Alex died in 1988, but Maxine is still alive and lives in London. But there were a lot of pretty, you know, pretty young witches and people were just like so into it <laughs> because they were naked and it was, you know, very intense. But so though that's a stream of witchcraft that people call Wicca which is like a term for British, like a particular form of British witch, which I am not a part of that lineage. And then there's other witches like fairy witches, which I am a part of that lineage. And that developed in the United States in the 30s and 40s. You know, that's a different kind of witchcraft. We don't necessarily work naked. Um, We don't work with a polarity of kind of masculine and feminine in the same way that the Gardnerian and Alexandrians might. And then there's all kinds of other witches, you know, eclectic witches who pick from here, there and everywhere. And there's reclaiming witches. Uh, I'm also part of that tradition. It's a very eco-feminist political tradition that started in the California Bay Area. Starhawk is very, um, she's one of the main kind of theologians and kind of mothers of that tradition. And she's a very famous witch who has ended up becoming very active. Oh, she was always an activist, but she has become very like much a permaculturalist and goes and teaches in Palestine to this day about permaculture and earth-based spirituality. And then there are Dianic witches who they are women only. And some of them are very like, uh, I would say, deeply transphobic, um, to be honest. And, mm. and then there are the Dianic witches who embrace all all women. It Like in witchcraft too, like any subculture or um, strand of whatever, like there's a lot of, you know, human complexity. That's one way to put it. And there's a lot of different kinds of witches. And then if you look out of the Anglophone areas, if you look out of English speaking areas, you're going to find all these other kind of traditional Brazilian witches and Mexican witches, although they would say bruja, brujo, you know, there's a whole renaissance of Mexican and Chicana people embracing their witch traditions and black folks in the States embracing their African-based diaspora kudu traditions. And so witchcraft is a huge, huge thing. And it's not, I think some people maybe even in witchcraft, think of it very as very European. Obviously, witch is just so European. But to be honest, the word suits any, as I said, any transgressive ecstatic spirit worker who's working with primordial forces. And we, witches have always existed in every culture. So next week, we'll be back with so many good questions, but this was such a chunk of an episode, we had to break it up into two. So make sure that you're subscribed or follow the show on your podcast app so you get part two as soon as it comes out next week. Meanwhile, we'll learn more from Theo in a second. But first, we'll go to a quick break from sponsors of the show who make it possible to donate twice to a cause of Theo's choosing, which is Mudgengal Women's Group, which is a leader in family violence prevention. And they are an Aboriginal service that's completely staffed and managed by Aboriginal women and they provide early intervention and vital services for vulnerable women in the Sydney community. So we'll link to their site in the show notes. And again, that donation was possible by Sponsor Subologies. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, 
therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you are not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash ologies. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids kiddos busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clothes projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. 
And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high-quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified, and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. All right, so next week we're going to delve into your questions about witches and media and hallucinogenic broomsticks, sex positive witchery, and if you're a witch or what to do if you think you might want to be one. But first, back to the basics and the history. How long do you think the notion of a spiritual kind of spooky healer that people <laughs> want to repress has been around. Has it been around ever since one person in a small gathering of humans knew that a certain herb could help a rash? Like, has, that, yeah. has it just been around since one person seemed to have powers that another didn't? I think so. And I love what you just said. I'm like, oh, maybe that's maybe that's the new definition of witch, a spiritual spooky <laughs> healer. I love it. Um, because to be fair, that's true. I, I'm thinking of one of my friends right now who would, who was a longtime witch who would love that definition. Um, <laughs> but I do believe that, yes, yes, the answer is yes. You articulated it very well. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you brought up something too about some maybe groups being more transphobic. And can you speak a little bit about gender inclusion in mm. witchcraft and and what historically the perspective on that has been? Yes. Well, okay, let's talk about the witch trials, right? We have to because that's yes. so um that's a really big piece of this. So so the witch trials happened for about 350 years. There were some in the late 15th century, but in the 1500s, 1600s into the 1700s. We probably know of 100,000 that were executed, but many more were accused and died in prison oh. and stuff, right? Now, 80% of these people were assigned female at birth, were women in their societies. So we know then that witchcraft has been historically connected to feminine magic and to women's power. But the thing is, there are all these kind of like uh, revisionist ideas about this. And yes, misogyny is totally a part of the witch trials, and it's a big part, but it's not the only part. Christian societies were absolutely terrified of magic. Fio emphatically hit the table with their finger, just passionately making the point. Absolutely. And previous to Christianity existing, Rome, Vikings, all these other pagan pre-Christian societies were terrified of witches too. And one of the reasons they were terrified was because, yes, it was women's power and it was grassroots anarchistic power. It wasn't always linked to the temples or to the top-down religious hierarchies or social hierarchies. It was out of the box. It was beyond the hedge in the, in the forest, in the wildwood. And at the same time, we have evidence of terms from pre-Christian Viking or Norse societies like ergi, E-R-G-I in English letters. It refers to the feminine behavior of men. Like if you practice sorcery or witchcraft, you're ergi or you're basically, you're queer, you're queer. Mm. And so 
in the gender history of witchcraft, the body of the witch has always been deeply femme and deeply queer. And then if you look at woodcuts, like the folkloric representation of witches, like sabbats or secret conclaves or revels, you'll always see naked, sometimes well, sometimes clothed, sometimes naked, like voluptuous, haggard, beautiful forms, all mixing together with like antlered gods and old women holding snakes and cauldrons. Mm-hmm. And, and like they're some of the most beautiful pieces of art from Europe, I think. Like the fascination with the witch's sabbat has formed so much good art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you can see in the what, what a lot of Europeans would have been horrified by, you can see the queer orgiastic beauty of it all. And there's a lot of ungendering in it. I would argue that the witch's sabbat as a kind of motif is actually about the dissolution of the boundaries between so-called humans and so-called animals, between masculine and feminine, between up and down, left and right. So just on an artistic, like historical level, to look at that period of time and to see what was being represented as witchcraft, it's actually deeply about the provocation of binary gender. And it's about men, well, cis men's fear of feminine power that's coming up from the underworld. That's the other thing. You said spooky. So I will say like most witchcraft is like totally coming up from the underworld. Like a lot of other religion always gestures upwards to the you know, like as if God or whatever is living up upstairs somehow. Mm-hmm. But a lot of our power we call up from the underworld and historically and in many cultures to this day, the underworld is not a place of like, you know, people would some I think maybe link that with like the idea of a Christian hell. But for most cultures, the underworld is a place of wisdom and mystery and power. It's also where the seeds germinate. It's where the fungi, you know. So for us, it's power. I was going to say, yeah. Where would we, we couldn't grow zucchini without Earth's crust. Yeah, exactly. And we return to it when we die. Exactly. I mean, unless we get, you know, shot into space or something, which is very (laughs) expensive. (laughs) Wow. You need to get a good group on for that. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I'm wondering too, in terms of pop culturally, I always think of, you know, the movie, The Vavitch or, um, (laughs) you know, Game of Thrones or something where the worst thing a femme can be is really hot and then boom, just kidding, they're an ugly hag. And that that is more scary to people than like plane crashes and zombies and getting your throat slit with a medieval sword. It's like the worst thing that could happen is someone who you thought was hot is an old lady. (laughs) Oh my God, that is so funny. Like that is the absolute horror of the male gaze. But where did this idea of witches as hags come from of these like bedraggled or whatever need a root touch up kind of women? I'm asking that because I need a root touch up if I'm honest. Well, I think there are many answers. One is actually a very fucked up answer. So there is some evidence to suggest that one of the roots of the popular kind of iconography of an old haggard witch with a broken crooked nose, like with da-da-da-da-da-da-da, with a particular kind of hat, is actually deeply anti-Semitic. Oh! Yeah, truly. In that time period, there were many pogroms and many, many Jewish people were being slaughtered in the streets. And we know that Christians, which formed the majority of Europe, they were deeply, deeply suspicious of Jewish people and they called them sorcerers. They called them Satanists. And interestingly, a lot of the early ways of referring to witches' gatherings was they called them synagogues. (gasps) You know, they also called them Sabbaths, which is literally also anti-Semitic. Not a history that I was familiar with. 
and I don't like it. And if you're like, what even is or was Sabbath in relation to witchery? Well, many people think it's a yearly midnight gathering just to hang with the devil. And there was this book from 1608 that described these conferences in the woods with attendants riding flying goats, trampling the cross, and being rebaptized in the name of the devil while giving their clothes to him, kissing his behind, and dancing back to back. So people thought there were like big naked witch keggers doing do si while kissing Beelzebub's bottom. Wow, it sounds like quite a party out there. Very fertile imaginations. But now the Sabbath is observed by the Wiccan tradition as celebrating solar cycles, like the equinoxes or the solstice or just the harvest. Kind of not unlike your family's spring and winter gatherings, but probably better fashion choices. I don't know. Or maybe more naked people. I don't know what your family does. So a lot of the law, the European law of witches, is deeply anti-Semitic. Like it put on witch practitioners by Europe or put on those accused of witchcraft by Christian Europe. Obviously, again, very top down. Mm -hmm. But then the other thing is that older women are the elders of most traditional societies. And so, again, when you have these healers, which, again, if you go to a rural part of Greece, if you go to a rural part of France, of many, you know, European nations, anywhere in the world, like, you will find the veneration of older women. And they're like the law keepers. But when you have a hierarchy of men representing a male god, you, you can't have that anymore. You can't have all the women being so revered and centered for their authority and sovereignty and magic. And certainly also the grandmother, the grandmother hag is one of the most, and I say hag as like one, like was one of the best things you could possibly be. <laughs> but the grandmother hag is like a primordial force that many witches venerate. Like one of the titles for the primordial mystery is grandmother. So we call her that. You know, so many people I know want to know this, so I'll ask it before we even get to Patreon questions because I would be reading their names off for like an hour. I mean, you obviously came from a background of this and you knew at a young age, but so many people want to know, how do I know if I'm a witch or if I'm just normcore or what if I want to become a witch? (laughs) Yeah. I I did a radio interview the other day where someone asked a similar question because I think interest in witchcraft goes in cycles, right? And certainly when the earth, I mean, the earth's in catastrophe, the climate crisis is off, like is so intense. And witchcraft and magic, it's almost like it's always revived when when things are really intense. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot of interest right now. And I would say that, look, there's no litmus test. If you are a person who's sitting there reading about witchcraft or looking at witchcraft or feeling into witchcraft and you're like, oh my God, I want this so bad. This is me. Then you're a witch. Go for it. (laughs) It's like not everyone is sitting there thinking that by the way. So if you're sitting there going, focusing on that, you probably are a witch. (laughs) And it does require, I will say like witchcraft is, um, it's also a discipline as much as it is like a phenomenon. So the magical discipline of witchcraft, and it looks different on different people, it does require a lot of focus, a lot of surrender, a lot of kind of near obsession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like you've got to really want it because there's just so much to study. There's so much to do. There's so much to take in, in the world and the cosmos. And so I would say like all humans can practice magic. I, I will say not all humans are witches, but all humans can practice magic. So go learn. Gotta hit the books. You hit the books. I'm one of the witches who does this. There are many witches out there who have public open community classes and therefore, therefore beginners. Like in the reclaiming tradition, we have a class called Elements of Magic. 
It's literally the elements of magic and the elements of life, earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. And we teach the basic foundational ecstatic tools of relating to the elements of life, of grounding and centering yourself, of being able to sense and perceive life force or magical power, being able to shape it and cast spells, being able to run your own ritual, cast a circle, step between the worlds, enter a trance state, invoke a deity, invoke a spirit. So we teach all of that. You can come and take it. And those tools, I believe, are revolutionary and radical for anyone. Anyone can come to the witches. Please come to the witches and drink from our cauldron (laughs) because I think those tools are good for anyone to be honest, but whether or not that person will then become like a witch priestess or, you know, an, or an initiate or like a full on just, you know, card carrying, witch, that's up to you, right? That's up to you and your desire and focus. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Are there classes like at the community center or do you have to go on like a forum somewhere? (laughs) Um, Sometimes there are classes in community centers. Sometimes there are classes at universities. Yeah. So all you have to do, like specifically for the class I just mentioned, which they're taught in, I think, at least five continents, all you have to do is type in elements of magic class. You'll find it. Mm -hmm. They're around. You don't have to enter a private forum to find that information for sure. And there are just so many witches out there now offering public work. Lovely. Um, Can I ask you some questions from patrons? Yes, of course. They have such good ones. So ask very smart people, not smart questions, because honestly, those are the best ones. And next week, patrons will be asking yours in part two of Witchology. So spread the word. Make sure that on your podcast app that you hit follow or whatever so that you make sure you get it as soon as it comes out. And thank you so much to Fio for being on twice and links to their latest book, The Witch Belongs to the World, A Spell of Becoming, as well as their social media and website are all in the show notes, as well as to the Charity of Choices Week. We are at Ologies on Instagram and Twitter. Twitter. Smologies are shorter, kid-friendly versions of classic episodes. Those are linked in the show notes as well. They're up at alleyward.com slash Smologies. Thank you, Zeke Rodriguez-Thomas and Mercedes Maitland for editing those. Thank you, Aaron Talbert, for adminning the Ologies Podcast Facebook group. Thank you, Emily White of The Wordery, who makes our professional transcripts. Noelle Dilworth is our scheduling producer. Susan Hale is our managing director. Kelly R. Dwyer makes the website. And we would meet up in a dark forest anytime with lead editor Mercedes Maitland of Maitland Audio. Nick Thorburn did the theme music. And if you stick around till the end of the episode, I tell you a secret. And this week, it's that when I was a goth teenager, we went to this club in Alameda in the East Bay in Northern California. Some of you might be going, really? Is it? Is it? Okay, it was this old movie theater that was a dance club and it was called The Twilight Zone or we just called it The Zone. And I discovered there's a Facebook group for people that used to go. And I was like, oh, is there a photo album? And there was. And I just was looking through all these photos. And I was like, I remember that couch. It smelled so bad. And I got socked with a nostalgia bomb so hard, just a flood of wow. That era was the best. Just piling in your friend's dead grandpa's old sedan, some idiot smoking cloves in the back seat, no phones, you just lurching around to the soundtrack for The Crow. Anyway, people in college used to ask me if I dressed like the girls from The Craft. And I was like, I had all these plaid skirts and a bad dye job before that movie came out. You attractive, well-adjusted jock. Anyway, nostalgia. Excited for part two. Happy Spooktober. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology. Homeology. Cryptozoology. Lithology. technology, Meteorology. Stop that.